Father in heaven, we're thankful that we live in this time, in this place, and we, as we were challenged last night, don't want this to just be another convention, but we want this to be um, a revolutionary event in our lives and in the lives of others. We're here to be equipped for service and equipped to reach this planet and this generation. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity. We're thankful for the time here at Generation of Youth for Christ. And so we ask a, a rich blessing on each seminar today, especially draw near here in this one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, this is what we're going to talk about here uh, over the next couple days. First of all, health to him. That's what I'm going to start out with this morning. Leading people from health seminars to him, that being, uh, you know, the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about first. And then uh, the second hour, I'm going to show you a key bridge. In other words, once people have come to your health seminar, what's that key bridge paradigm shifting conversation that just leads them from, from the uh, scientific to the scriptural, from the, you know, research to relationship from logic to love. What's that, what's that conversation? <laughs> We're going to go through that. That's going to be so exciting. I wish we could start with it, but we can't. Then, um, when we come back right after lunch, I've got someone that's helping me with a little presentation, rubbing people the right way. Massage. You're going to learn a little bit about, uh, just a tiny little bit about massage there. Then the oldest scientific study known to mankind. We're going to cover that. And then uh, I've asked Rich and Susan uh, Collenberg to join me for Reaching Addicted People, um, like I talked about last night. And remember that the number two and three causes of death uh, for people in the age bracket of 15 to 20 is homicide and suicide, many times related to addictions. And so um, they have a, a, an amazing testimony to share of how the Lord led them, um, you know, back to sanity from self-induced insanity. Um, so uh, you'll want to hear that and, and tell everyone else you can about it. Then on Friday, Dr. Neil Nedley is going to be joining me to study with you how to excel academically, how to memorize effectively, how to increase your IQ, your EQ, and decrease your DQ, okay? <laughs> so that's what we're going to be talking about on Friday. So um, just uh, kind of a, as I was preparing for this seminar, I recognized that the, uh, the leading causes of death for all ages are heart disease, cancer, stroke, chronic lower respiratory disease, uh, accidents, diabetes, influenza, pneumonia, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, kidney diseases. That's typically what we say is the leading causes of death. But for people aged 15 to 19 and actually a little bit older than that, young adult category is the same. What do you have first? Unintentional injury, um, homicide, suicide, then your cancers, then your heart disease, congenital anomalies. You see the difference there? So uh, the, the problem with doing health seminars many times to young people is they don't think they have 
uh, you know, any problems. In other words, they don't, they don't really think it's important. In other words, their frontal lobe's not connected yet, <laughs> which is the reason they have so many accidents, okay? It's unintentional. Oh, <laughs> you know, they jumped off the bridge and then on the way down, they go, this was a bad idea. <laughs> By the way, they did, they did, uh, they did, uh, you know, they did exit polls, I guess would be the way, on people that attempted suicide that didn't quite make it. And that's exactly what they thought. They made the decision, then as they were on the way down, they said, this is a bad idea. Unintentional injury, number one. Homicide, anger, bitterness, undealt with uh, things going on, um, leading to, you know, either getting killed or killing someone else, and then suicide. So, um, so the, the challenge in reaching someone in your age category is, t is to help them kind of see what's important and why. Now, it can be done. I wish I had time to go through a whole seminar on some of the things that are working reaching people that are young, but one of the things that really works is what I've asked Dr. Dudley to carry or study, and that is how to excel academically. You know, nobody wants to basically be stupid. Anyone here want to be stupid? No. Um, everybody wants to be in Dr. Pippum's seminar, right? They want to be brilliant enough to go to that. But, but uh, some people need some help getting there, and we've discovered that they're very interested in those things. Okay. Leading people from health to him after that little uh, introduction. If your church was to shut down, would the community notice? <laughs> right? Well, they notice. Have you ever been to Europe? Where all the churches are kind of like museums, bookstores, they're even McDonald's now. <laughs> uh, if your church was to shut down with a community notice, what program or service would they demand you continue and why? Um, you can turn that on a little bit more because people are already tired. Um, you know, for me, the answer to that was the health programs we did at the church. When we stopped doing those programs, we actually got phone calls from physicians, from clinicians of different time, from dietitians, from hospitals. What's going on over there? Why did you set that program down? Because there was one time our director got sick. And then they all just said, man, you guys, you have to have that program. Now, looking at Christ's method of ministry, I like Matthew 4.23, if you were writing notes, and Matthew 9.35. They say the same thing, except for one little difference. In Matthew 4.23, it says, And Jesus went throughout Judea, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. So Jesus went throughout all Judea and Samaria. Now, it says the same thing in Matthew 9:35. one little difference. It says, and Jesus went everywhere, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. You see the difference? They started in Judea and Samaria and were successful there, Jesus was, and then he went everywhere. How many get the principle? If you start somewhere, then you can go somewhere else. But he was, I was talking to a guy last night, he said, I'm going to start an evangelism school. I said, well, how many uh, evangelistic meetings have you preached? He said, I did one. <laughs> I said, well, who's going to come to your school? <laughs> In other words, you have to do something, then other people come. That, and Jesus demonstrated that. So, he would start with, 
Which one of those three? Preaching, teaching, or healing? Healing, restoration, then led the stage to education. So right after he healed people in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, what comes after Matthew chapter 4? You can leave one of those open. What, uh, what happens after uh, Matthew, Matthew 4? What chapter comes next? Exactly. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. Right, Sermon on the Mount. Just leave that door open if you don't mind. I like to see the windows. It gives me a sense I could escape if I need to. So, right after Matthew chapter 4 is Matthew chapter 5, which 5 through 7 is what? <coughs> is it restoration or is it education? It's education. And that's the next thing he did. And then after he was through restoring people and educating people, they couldn't help but respond in adoration. They said, oh man, the last verse of the Sermon on the Mount is what? He speaks with authority, not as one of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, wow. And then they said, did you hear what he did for me? And they would respond in adoration. They couldn't help but dismiss something Jesus would say to almost all of them, which is what he would say after he healed them. He'd go, don't tell anyone about this. <laughs> Remember when he would say that? And they would universally disregard that. They'd jump. They'd say, I, I, I was blind, but now I see. And, and they'd tell everybody. And then, of course, everybody get in trouble. Which is the reason he said, don't tell anybody. Except he would say, go show yourself to the priest. Right? So, restoration led to education. The response was adoration, and they couldn't help but join him in proclamation. In other words, they joined in my little acronym, reaping. How many of you want to be in, like, like Jesus and do things that lead to reaping of the harvest? During his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. I'm sorry, Mark Finley, Doug Batchelor, um, Sean Boonstra. It was more time to what? Healing the sick than preaching. Because you know what? Every single time someone is helped physically, they tell all kinds of people. That's like a built-in sermon with illustrations included. <laughs> you know? Right? His last injunction to his apostles was to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. And uh, then we're told in Christian Home, page 533, soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines except what? Medical missionary work. In other words, Mark Finley is going to be doing jail ministries. Or, like he is this weekend, birthing ministries. He's with his daughter who's having, their first, uh, having her first baby. Um, Doug Batchelor is going to be back in the cave, you know. It's... Uh, the, the last thing that's going to be done is, is medical missionary things. And it's going to be simple things. You know, the, the Testimonies Volume 9, I'm even, sorry, I'm a part of a media ministry, and I really believe in media ministry, but at the end of time, it's going to be people going door to door, simple methods. You just read Testimonies Volume 9. It's going to be 144,000 ABN. <laughs> Not 3 ABN, right? <laughs> It's going to be people going out doing that. Medical missionary work is to be connected with the gospel ministry. It is the gospel in practice. It's the gospel practically carried out. CH 
532. So, in other words, someone comes to your seminar or to your, your health thing, and, and what do they do? They're confessing they have a need, right? When they get there, they're confessing their sins. <laughs> Amen? What is a sin? It's something that comes between you and God. It's something that disconnects, right? Physically speaking, they say, well, I was doing this, this, this. And they say, oh, you're doing, that's bad. They confess their sin. And then the physician, clinician, educator, humble servant of the Lord says, this is what you need to do based on the word of God or science or whatever it is. And by the word, be no science without the word of God. I'll come to that later. And they say what? This is how you get repentance. <laughs> this is the gift of repentance. And if you follow it, 85% of the cases, this happens and that happens. And then they follow it, and what happens? They're healed. And the same word in Greek in the New Testament is used for healing and salvation. It's the word sozo. Z-O-S-O. Or S-O-Z-O. S-O-Z-O. I mean, you know, it's Greek, so it's neither of those really, but sozo. Now, zozo. And that's the same word for salvation and healing. How many think that's just amazing? Sin, repentance, salvation. So that, that's why she can say this. It's the gospel carried out. So the Savior made every work of healing an occasion for implanting divine principles in the mind and the soul. Heal the sick, saying to them, the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, right after healing someone, Luke 10, 9 says, tell them the kingdom of God has come upon them, come nigh them. In other words, uh, this, the principles of the kingdom, the mustard seed of the kingdom has, has been at work in their life. Wow. So, educational lines, ministerial lines, medical missionary lines are kind of supposed to stand as a unit. That's where we're kind of excited at amazing facts that we've joined together with Weimar and we have the proclamation, we have the education, we have the restoration as a unit. <laughs> right? Now, this is, the, this is basically the overview of what you would do to lead people from help to him. You can come in. My brother's waffling there. You know what happens to waffles? They get eaten. Okay, here's what happens. Seven key questions here when you're leading people from health to him. You might want to write these down. Um, well, not questions. Don't write the questions down. Just the, the, the outline you see here. But let me just say something about questions. The real thing, the real, thing, the, the real way to be successful in any kind of witnessing you guys are now in the front row, is um, to let questions lead. If someone's asking you a question, then you know they're interested in what you have to say. If they're not asking you a question, then you don't know. How many of you want to be so in tune with God in every area of your life that you become questionable? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In other words, people will ask you questions. Well, why do you do that? Why do you do this? Why do you do the other? And questions. So they'll come to your health program because they have questions about the future of their life. They have questions about what their relationships. They have questions about what's happening and whether or not it's going to continue. So that'll bring them to the health program. After you get through the health program, you want them to just be so jazzed is not the word we want to use here, but so uh, classical music that, <laughs> that they just say to you, Wow! Why is, it that this, why is it that this church does this? 
Why is it that you guys do that? You know, you just want that question to come up because you're just so effective at dealing with their, defect, their, their defectiveness, right? And then when they do that, then you come up with a study that helps them, a paradigm sifting study, which I call, what's the connection? Because usually that's what they say. What's the connection between this and your church? So you gotta answer that question. Then, after that, you want that study to go so well that they will constrain you. How many of you know where I got that word? That's Luke 24. When Jesus was studying with the apostles, they got through and they said, they constrained him, please stay with us. Right? Um, yeah. How many of you are still awake this morning? Are you drawing a little strength and energy from me expending myself here? Good. So... <laughs> They, they constrained him. And then, you know, what I take them to is that the Bibles are, are actually the world's oldest scientific study, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, which is Daniel 1. It says it's the oldest clinical trial known in the history of mankind. So I take him to what the New England Journal of Medicine says is the oldest scientific study, Daniel 1. And then we start this journey through Daniel 1 through 6. And then we get through, I say, we're done with Daniel 1 through 6? And wasn't this wonderful? And they go, wait a minute, what about 7 through 12? <laughs> and then after that, I show them this connection between chapter 12 of Daniel and chapter 10 of Revelation. I show this connection, and the connection is so exciting. It has so many clear things that when you get through, you just go, okay, now we're ending our study of the book of Daniel. And they go, wait, what about Revelation? <laughs> Then I go Revelation chapter 10 through 22, and then reveal the testing, choose the remnant church. And then they go, wait a minute, how could I become, or what is it the Adventist church really teaches? And then I say, well, look, let me show you our catechism, which is Revelation chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, every single doctrine of the Adventist church is taught. First four verses, salvation. I mean, Scripture. Second couple verses, he washed us with his blood, salvation. The next one, every eye will see him, second coming. The next one, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, Sabbath. Next one, chapter 1, verse 12, I was walking among the lampstands, that's the sanctuary. The next one, he lifted his right hand down and touched me, and he says, I have the keys of death and Hades, that's the state of the dead. Next one, the one who was, who is, who is to come, that's the spirit of prophecy. And the last one, John to the seven churches in Asia Minor, that's the doctrine of the saints, the church. So what were they? Scripture, salvation, second coming, Sabbath, sanctuary, state of the dead, spirit of prophecy, and the saints, the church. Amen? How many would like to have that study? Just have it. You want it, want it right now. Okay, come by the booth, Amazing Facts booth, and I have it for you, right in a little printed form. You can put it right in your Bible, okay? So come by. I forgot to bring it up, but I, uh, I know you'll come by the booth, and we'll get it to you. So, so that's kind of the overview. That's what I would teach you if I had more time, but I don't. I, I would teach you all that, but I'm, I'm going to do as much as I can, some damage to the kingdom. I've written a couple books. One in process is a follow-up on the depression recovery or the peak mental performance seminars that Dr. Nedley does called From Disappointment to Appointment. Every chapter in the book of Daniel begins with a disappointment and ends with an appointment. And then the other one I've written to follow up health seminars like the Coronary Health Improvement Project or programs like that, like the New Start program that's really dealing with more coronary type things. But it, both of them go through Daniel 
And we, we, we do the same thing. By the way, did you know what uh, Ellen White says the two books are that we're especially supposed to be able to share as Adventists with people? Daniel and Revelation. So let's keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? I could share some of these testimonies, but just one. The spiritual program started something new, made my heart glad. I can see that God has not left me. I mean, I think that's just a wonderful thing. Depressed people, they will think there's no God. They will think there's no reason to live. This is typical, normal, and that's why, you know, they're depressed. But they've done a study and shown that if you think there's no God and he doesn't care about you personally, your risk of mortality goes up 22 to 28%. It's a very dangerous thing to not believe that God cares about you. So, now I want to cover the eight characteristics of highly effective health programs, and I think I might have moved it up to nine. <laughs> Here they are, and we'll go through them slowly after I read them rapidly. Scientific, excellent. Sacrificial service, sufficient time, spiritual pathway then is established. There's sharing of the significance of the program. There's the source of authority. There's a sequence of scripture and the seriousness of the topic. How many think you got that? And if you do, then we're done. But I don't think you do. So I'm going to go through it now more slowly. Scientific excellence, sacrificial service, sufficient time, spiritual pathway established. Let's start with the first one. Scientific excellence. Oh, wait, let's start with the last one. Seriousness of the topic. Seriousness of the topic. Here's a picture of some graduates from health programs. You see, people that go to programs that you conduct die. Everybody dies. How many think that's just a wonderful thought here in the morning? But it's something you must not forget. If I had Gary Fraser today and he was giving you the Adventist health study, he would tell you that Adventists die of heart disease, of cancer, of stroke, of diabetes. They just die 10 to 12 years later. But they all die. Remember that. Don't think, by the way, doctors don't save lives. They save a couple years, but they don't save lives. Amen? We, we're kind of like, we like kind of try to think in a never-never land, like, oh, you're going to live forever because you went to the doctor. No. But, it, you know, that's not it. Now, I'm not minimizing doctors or nurses or anything like that. You understand what I'm saying. As a Christian, we have to realize that people all die. So just remember that when people come to anything you're doing, like last GYC, I think there were some people traveling back. One of them was killed after GYC. God forbid that would happen again. Amen? But today's a gift to all you can. Share all the good you can today. It's the only day you have right now. So that's number one. That was the first one. Seriousness of topic. Now back to the first one. I mean, it was the last one. Now this is the first one. Scientific excellence. When you do a health program, make sure it's excellent. Scientific excellence is, is the standard today. <coughs> you got to have that together. And by the way, I'm so happy to be an Adventist where there's over 350 studies now done on science, scientifically, you know, peer-reviewed journal, journal articles that show that, that, that the Adventist church has got what it takes in terms of health and preventive medicine and all those different things. Are you thankful to be a part of a church like that? Just being an Adventist, you're like in the zone, the blue zone. Have you read the new book? 
by Dan Buettner, Blue Zones. I mean, even Oprah's talking about it. I mean, she talks about some hokey things. Come on in, folks. We're going to be taking up an offering soon, so we'd like you to move right. <laughs> so, 350, 350 scientific journals. I mean, look, I have people calling my church up. Is this the Adventist church? We're looking for a vegan cooking class. I'm like, really? You know, right? They're just calling up. Are you the ones that can help with this and help with that? Man, that's great. One of the things I used in my church 16 times, we did what's called a CHIP program. This is dealing with coronary artery disease and all these different killers that normally are on the big list if you're not young. But remember, that's number four, number five on even the young list. I've taken care of a 16-year-old that actually ended up dying of a heart attack. I've looked at, you know, we're having these diseases increasingly appear younger because of other things we'll cover. So the Adventist CHIP program, we, we use that. And in my church, these were the results from my church after 10 programs. We saw a, a drop in cholesterol from an average of 210 at the start to 175 or 15 to 20% drop in cholesterol. So every percentage drop in cholesterol has a 2 to 3% drop in the risk of dying from heart disease. So 15 times 3 is 45. We're working. We're going to work up so we can attend Sam's seminar next, next, next year. It's 45. And 20 times 3 is? Look at that. Someone comes to your church and 45% of their risk is gone after they attend your seminar. I'm going to say praise God to that. And then 60%. And the other things, by the way, Ellen White says that most diseases, if you just follow the New Start principles, 95% unnecessary. Wow. People lose weight. Women, 5 pounds. Men, 6.5. This is the only documented proof you can say that men are real losers. <laughs> Actually lose a little bit more. 90% of those coming to our program would go off their blood pressure medications and no longer need them. And by the way, that's a big thing because there's a lot of things that are connected to taking blood pressure medications that any man may tell you if you ask him very closely and they don't like those medications. Nearly 90% of those in our program that were taking pills for diabetes no longer needed the pills. And 50% of those that came no longer needed insulin injections. Some of them actually went off insulin. Diabetes, by the way, is the most reversible of the diseases that you can look at, except for juvenile, of course, but type 2 diabetes. Uh, used to be called adult diabetes, is the most reversible. And you see these pronounced things. That we're reviving that at Weimar, the reversing diabetes program, because of that. And uh, I was listening to Neil Barnhart, who's the president of the Physicians Council for Responsible Medicine, and he cited Weimar two times in his public lectures in public venues. I thought, man, that's great. So here's what happens in your church. They come and they, they have their artery that, that looks, now you can put those down a little bit in the back so you can see this. Uh, someone with the lights, let there not be light. So you have this 10% right here and then it kind of opens up. And you can, so you can see that, uh, that uh, lessening. Oh, it's too late now. This is, uh, this is, this is Dr. Kroll. He's the head of the, <coughs> hello, are you there? Um, <laughs> Head of the breast cancer, uh, uh, breast cancer Task Force at Cleveland Clinic, he went to see the doctor and noticed what he had. He had a narrowing of his left anterior descending artery, and it looked like these are all remnants of, of vegan burritos, and uh-oh, boy, that's not good. Um, 
And in other words, his battery was about running out. <laughs> and can someone plug this in for me? And um, so, so, so what happens then after he follows this regimen that basically you can teach in your church, what happens, other side, um, is that just in like two years, look at what happens. Look at happened. By the way, this was not a surgical option for him. He couldn't get surgery on that. And so he just said, well, I'm going to have to do a diet like they teach at the New Start program or in Adventist churches that know about it or care about it. And what happened was it opened completely up. Here's what happens in 10 days. Same doctor that helped um, Dr. Crow there at the Cleveland Clinic. 10 days. He rapidly puts people on cholesterol-lowering medications, which you can also do just by changing, taking cholesterol out of the diet. And in 10 to 14 days, notice what happened with the perfusion. This is the perfusion before the treatment. Uh, the red section is where the blood was flowing. And then notice what happens just within 10 days. That artery is opening up. More blood is going. And where there's blood, there's life because the life is in the blood. And these are pictures. What? No, 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 shut that off. There's got to be another option. What's the other option? <sighs> yeah, we better shut it off then. <coughs> uh, turn the lights back on because we don't want to lose you here. Let me see what I'm going to talk about next. Okay, I'll just keep talking while he's uh, doing that. Turn those lights back on so I can see everybody, just to make sure that you're still alive. Um, so... What's basically happening in those coronary programs is just amazing. And that can happen where? In your church. And when you do a job like that, when you, when you show people what's happening in their lives, you know what they do? They just go, this is amazing. Why is it that my church is not doing this? Why is it that other people don't know about this? And uh, amazing things start to happen. I remember we did the program once and I had some engineers there in the class. And engineers are always the most, you know, uptight people. Because they want to really know how things work. Now, I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion. I mean, they, they, they want to make sure everything, like, the T's are dotted in the I. You know, they're, like, doing these algorithms while you're talking, you know, and they show you the standard deviations of your thought afterwards, you know. And, and, and they're thinking, you know, anyway, so this guy's sitting there like this at the beginning of the seminar in my church, and he's like... And he had, like, 16 pins, you know. And he's writing them with different colors and stuff. And then afterwards, he, he gets really interested. And he goes, wow, this is pretty good. <laughs> so this guy, after he graduates, his cholesterol's down, his heart disease is down, everything else. He goes to his company. He says, you guys got to have this program. He comes to me, calls me up. He says, look, we got <laughs> to go visit this company with you. And I said, fine, fine, fine. You know me, not thinking. Didn't think it was any big deal. So I said, fine, I'll go with you. And he, he just called me two days before because I don't have time to think about it right now. I've got some other stuff going on. Two days before, he calls me up. He goes, i got it all set up. There's going to be eight physicians there. Eight physicians? What kind of company is this? A hospital? He goes, no, this is the Boeing Corporation. <gasps> I was terrified. I said, oh, no. I called up my friend. We put together this presentation. We go and we give the presentation. They go, this is great. You've got to do this for the Boeing Corporation. I was like, no, 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 no. We can't do it for the Boeing Corporation. You've got, uh, how many people do you have in this company? He said, 20,000. I said, Oh, look, I said, our, it's a little small church they're doing this. And they said, well, we want to send some executives through there. You see what happens? Now Cigna is signing up for that same program. They want to carry the entire program in their entire health care plan. This is the Adventist church 
sharing what we've had for 140 years. How many think we should be doing that? Same thing happens in the area of emotional health. Many times we were afraid to help people with emotional diseases. We'll help them with something that's physical that can be cut off, sliced, chopped, uh, pureed, marinated. But, we, but if it's some kind of uh, you know, emotional or relational thing, we're like, oh, no, no, no. You go to a counselor or someone else for that because we can't help you. We're just the church. We just do Band-Aids here. <laughs> But how many you think we could probably go a little deeper? The health education program that was developed by Dr. Nelly recently tried to do that, and it has amazing results. Here's a picture of the pre and post test stores of just one inpatient program that uh, we're working on. Dr. Nelly does the medical, I do the spiritual, and someone else does the psychological. And after just 10 days, please turn that back on a little bit, look at what happens. There's a 100% response rate to the program. And these people on the Beck inventory, they were severely depressed. That's the top category, or moderate or mildly. After just 10 days, all of them go down to either no depression, mild, or some moderate depression. That happens in an Adventist church. How many think that's pretty good? How many think that should happen more? When people see scientific excellence, they immediately say, Whoa, this is the right one, baby. Uh-huh. Because it's been documented, and they see that. They see the charts, they see the graphs, and they see the results. But that alone is not going to win people's hearts to the kingdom. You've got to have sacrificial service. People are used to having scientific excellence at a cost. But they want to have sacrificial service. And when you, you show sacrificial service in my particular program where we did the program at the Three Angels Church in Wichita for 13 years, these are some of my sacrificial saints, and they would reach out to the people, and they would love the people, and they would not only care for the people, but know, make the people know they cared for them. They'd be praying behind the scenes. They wouldn't be telling them they're praying for them unless that was appropriate. I remember when I worked in the hospital for about eight years, if you went to someone's room and said, we're praying for you, they'd go, oh, really, is it that bad? <laughs> so you'd say, oh, I'm thinking about you, because don't you think when you pray? Uh, so... And, and, and they see the love of people, and their, and their faces just light up. These are two formerly non-Adventists that became Adventists as a result of the program. And that's how they looked in the actual program. See, see, well, look at their faces. They're delighted. And they have disinterested benevolence uh, people that work in these programs, which means they're not so interested in themselves, but they're more interested in the people they're serving. In fact, Ellen White said, if we have institutions, even institutions, look at this quote, and I'll only read a little bit of it because I don't have as much time as I'd like. Testimonies, Volume 1. If you treated people only for the recovery of health, Volume 1, page 554, the special blessing of God would not rest upon the institution. So if it's just for the recovery of health and not for the recovery of spiritual health, you don't have the blessing of God. How many of you want to move from just talking about someone increasing life to having eternal life? Not just talking about avoiding death, but avoiding the second death. Amen. Right? That's the picture. Scientific excellence, sacrificial service, and a sufficient amount of time. Man, I love programs that are long. The longer the program, the better. Because then I get to know people. Amen? Have you met these people? The Winers? Mr. and Mrs. Weiner, have you heard them? They go, okay, we're going to have a program at the church. It's going to be an hour long. Oh, an hour long. The pastor went over 12 o'clock. Oh, same people. They got lots of relatives. <laughs> I pulled them into my office one day, 
the whiners, not the winos. That was another day. And I, call, I pulled him into the office and I said to him, I said, guess what? If these people get better during the program and then they learn about Jesus and then they accept Jesus in their life, they're going to live forever and we're going to have to live with them for eternity. Oh, oh. Amen? So we need to take the long view, right? How many of you like when you dated, how many of you have ever dated someone? I'm not looking. How many of you have ever known someone that got married? And when they started courting, what did they do? Oh man, could I just bake this short? I want to be with you for five minutes. We don't want to spend much time with you. We need to have that mentality of sacrificial service and disinterested benevolence of those people we're caring for. Amen? So, sufficient time. And then significant interaction. How many of you have met someone that you spend time with them, but they never say anything, even though you sit with them for years? You're like, this is so vacuous. I'm not sure anything happened there. We have to have sufficient, uh, significant interaction. Let me just say this, that this won't happen unless we have this. The church seems content to take only the first steps in conversion. They're more ready for active labor than humble devotion, more ready to engage in outward religious service than inner work of the heart. Meditation and prayer are neglected for bustle and show. Religion must begin with emptying and purifying the heart and must be nurtured by daily prayer, 5T, 535. How many think that's probably the most essential thing in your health program? Without a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior, it's impossible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world because we can't give to others that which we don't have. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 37. So the, the, the most key element in leading people from health to Him is that you're in touch with Him because you can't lead them where you're not been or you're not currently living, effectively. You heard about the Indian chief who bought the Cadillac and he was driving it around one day? And he said, I'm taking this back. So he took it back to the dealer. He says, why are you bringing it back? He goes, it's hard to steer. He says, well, how are you steering it? Well, I just stand up and drive it around the square. He says, why are you standing up? He says, because I hooked up some horses to the front of it, and I just pulled it around. And the dealer said, I think you're missing the point of the car. What you have to do is turn on the key. And then it has power steering. We might even be able to add a GPS system to it. But our Christian experience is so much like that Indian chief. We walk around in our own strength, but we're not connected. That's the main reason our health programs don't lead people to the Lord, many times. Does the Adventist church have a problem with not having enough health programs? But does it have a problem leading people from health programs to the message? And I think one of the reasons is because of this. <clears throat> there is nothing more needed in the work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in God. His peace in the heart will shine forth in the countenance. It will give to the voice a persuasive power. Communion with God will impart a moral elevation to the character and to the entire course of action. <clears throat> Prayer and the study of his word must not be neglected, for here is the source of his strength. No work for the church should take precedent over this, 6T47. How many think that's a powerful quote? 
if you want to lead people, then you have to be connected. And when you're connected, everything you say is significant because God's directing you. This is the way. Walk ye in it. I heard a voice behind me saying, go this way, go that way, talk about this, talk about that. You're like, oh, I don't know what to say. He knows what to say. Right? Here's a picture of one of Jesus' last programs. Well, not really. I just found this on the internet. I looked up crowd on mountainside. This is what I found. Jesus would have to stand at the base of mountains because there was not... There was, look at this t statement. On so large a scale did he conduct his work of healing and teaching, restoration, education, learning, proclamation, healing and teaching, that there was no building in Palestine large enough to receive the multitudes that thronged to him. Ministry of Healing, page 17. How many think that's a great quote? Like, this, this convention center would have been like, too small. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have to go outside San Jose to that big mountain you drove by. How many think this should be happening again? But just because he had large programs, you know, large programs are not where it's at. I've got to tell you. I'm not against large, but Jesus' large programs always came down to the one soul audience. He met Nicodemus in the middle of the night because he was affluent. And that's the only time appropriate for a man. You don't meet with women in the middle of the night. He, he met with the woman at the well in the middle of the day. Amen? But it all came down to the one soul audience. Every program we've done, the larger the program, usually the less successful. Because you don't have that patient interaction, you don't have that personal interaction. So we had to be very deliberate in our church about one-on-one. -on -one. You can do a lot of things in a group, but you can't call for decisions. You can't get to the heart of someone unless you're dealing with them one-on-one. -on -one. So, scientific excellence, sacrificial service, sufficient time, and then the sharing of testimonies. Man, we would have a special Sabbath at the end of our class where we'd have people come and say, look, you rented the facility, you were in our, uh, this, this church made the facility available, <clears throat> would you be willing to come and share what happened? And they came and they'd share what happened. You know what that did? That solidified in their, in their heart what, that this was a part of the church. And it also, you know what it did to the church members? The first programs I did in my church, none of the church members wanted to come except for like four. They were like, oh, this is like... We're going to get in a vegetarian food fight. There's going to be this and that. Tastes great, less filling, you know, all this stuff. And they were like, they didn't want to do this. But when they saw the community members saying, man, this happened and that happened and everything else happened, they were like, whoa. And the testimonies filled up the next class. There's two of the folks that went through a recent class. You see, they, they were not even Adventists before they came. Then they came to the health seminar. Then they were baptized. Do they look happy to you? They went through a depression recovery program and they could hardly even walk when they came. They, they, they were flat affective face. They were just totally like walking in like this. Zombies. But now they got pep in their steps, spunk in their trunk, their eyes are popping, their jaws are dropping, and they're happy to be a part of the kingdom of God. Amen? So you have scientific excellence, sacrificial servants, sufficient time, sharing of the testimony, and then a spiritual pathway is established during these health things. You know, health evangelism is evangelism. Let me show you why. Here it is, this big slide. Try and memorize it all rapidly. <clears throat> this is from Dr. Timothy Jennings, actually, when I interviewed him on 3A Ben, Good Thoughts. Let, be out of your mind, Dr. Pippin said last night. How to be out of your mind. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This is the spiritual nature which is made up of reason, 
Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. As wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Look at that. Eat the good of the land. Reasonable. They sell, they'll be in your program. Get, you cover the scientific research and they'll say, oh, that's, that's reasonable. And in fact, it's right. Conscience is knowing what's right and wrong. And they'll say, okay, that's wrong. Or that's right. And then worship, they go, oh, I, I, I can see what he said. That's worth my attention. It's worth something to me. I'm coming back again. And so they begin to worship because they think it's worthy. That happens in a health program. Like, for instance, you listen to this first lecture of mine, and you're probably going to go afterwards, you go, oh, that, that wasn't worth my time. <laughs> or you might say, oh, man, that was worth my time. I'm going to text back to someone and say, man, come on over. Right? <laughs> right? That's worth my time. Well, maybe you're not going to do that. I don't know. It's up to you. So that's the spiritual nature at work. But it, it struggles against something else, genetic vulnerability. I wish I could talk to you about the epigenetics of the kingdom this morning, but I don't have time. But that's a great study. It's in Ezekiel 18, showing how genetically things were being passed on. But then that chain was broken because genetics don't have to be a death knell. We have good genetics and bad genetics, and what we do, lifestyle triggers one or one way or one the other way. They did studies with mice, and they found out you can turn the genes on for cancer and turn them off based on lifestyle. Genes... You may have genes, but you don't have to wear them. <laughs> genetic vulnerability, all right? Uh, and that genetic vulnerability will, will set us up for selfishness instead of selflessness. And we say, I want it for myself. Sensation, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. Sense, I, that, that feels good to me. There's a lot of dopamine involved. So, sensation. Materialism. I want it for myself. It's and ego, I can afford it. I have the material means. Did you know they did the studies that when the economy goes up, health goes down. When the economy goes down, health goes up. Every time unemployment goes up, people die later. How many say, amen, let us have more unemployment? <laughs> Forget the economic stimulus packets. Let us get healthy. How many would just feel terrible if all the McDonald's shut down in this country? Hmm. Do you see that? So you have selfishness, that, you have the spiritual nature that, that fights against the flesh. The spirit versus the flesh. Right in the middle is the key. This is what you teach in your health programs. You can choose this instead of this. You can choose the spirit instead of the flesh. Not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of the Spirit, John 1, 13. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself to the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh, I'm preaching now. Okay, so this, isn't that great? Every thought. Why do we preach... Why do we preach longevity when Jesus had such a life of brevity? Why don't we preach you should die at age 33? You know why? Because it was safe for Jesus to die. 
he demonstrated that when on the cross he said, or in Gethsemane he said, not my will in humanity, but thy will be done. He died to the human nature and partook only of the divine nature. It was safe for him to die. How many want it to be safe for you to die? I think the reason God wants us to live longer is two reasons. Number one, to help others. But number two, because maybe we haven't gotten where we need to be, haven't taken up the cross mentality of Jesus. How many of you are thankful that you're alive? So why do we preach longevity when Jesus had a life of brevity? It's because we haven't come to the victory in this area. So let's all go to Doug Bassler's seminar. <laughs> But that's really the issue. Victory in Jesus. Not my will, but thy will be done. So the health message then is the entering wedge. And when we use it, people who come to the programs may come selfishly, with selfish motives, but in so doing, they place themselves where the truth of God will find access to their hearts, and they see the spiritual power of the program. Scientific excellence, sacrificial service, sufficient time, sharing of testimony, significant interaction, and then a spiritual pathway is established. And once that's established, they'll start asking this question. What is the connection between this and your church? How many can see how that can happen? I've seen it happen hundreds of times. We had a thousand people come through our programs at Wichita, and 10% of them have now joined the Adventist church. But many of them had that question planted in their mind by a successful program. And when they ask that question, then comes the next, what did I do, skip one? Significant interaction I put in twice, which is significant, I guess. <laughs> we lead them then to the proper source of authority. Not science, necessarily, but now we lead them to what? The scriptures. What is it that really heals people? Is it science or the scriptures? The scriptures, it says in Psalm 107, verse 20. Write this in your little notes. It's notable. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. So what is it that heals people? Psalm what did I say? 107, 107 verse 20? And see, verse 19 says, Fools, because of their iniquity, approached the grave. They abhorred all manner of food. That's what's happening today in our nation. Food that's really food, we don't like. And food that's not food, we like. And so we're all dying, because we're fools. <laughs> that's why Jesus said, You fools and slow of heart, not to believe all the prophets have spoken. All the word of God has spoken, including Genesis 1.29 and Leviticus 3.18. No fat, no blood, veggies. But the basis of science, the basis of science is really the scriptures. I read a book recently, Copernicus' Secret, where he talked about, do you know what motivated Copernicus to find out what he did about the sun? He was a very godly person. He was studying all the stars to see what was going on with the Reformation. He believed that the Reformation was ordained by God. And if Christ came because of a star and the planets, maybe he could learn something from the planets. And that's how he discovered about the sun. And the reason he got in so much trouble was not because of the heliocentric idea he had, but because he was directly connected with Luther and Melanchthon, and they didn't like them, and so they picked on Copernicus. In an interesting book I read, it says this, about science and the scriptures. You'll find this interesting. 
There are certain cultures where science didn't develop. Hindu, Chinese, Mayan, Egyptian, Babylonian, Greek cultures all had varying degrees starts in science that ended in stillbirth. It says in the book, The Origin of Science and the Science of Its Origin. Why is it that none of these cultures could develop a rigorous scientific thought? Belief in God's omnipotence changed the view of nature from imprecision to the realm of precision. Because they didn't believe that God was pre precise. You see, in these various cultures, there was nothing precise that says, okay, God said this was going to happen, and then it did happen. We call that what? Bible? And it's 27 to 30% of the Bible. The Quran has none of it. The Bhagavad Gita has none of it. The Vedic scriptures had none of it. The Bible is made of almost 30% of prophecy. It's falsifiable. It's testifiable. It's the basis of scientific thought. The concept of an orderly world as deduced from the rational, consistent God of the Bible provided a basis for the belief in the cause and effect concept of science. The pagan gods of other cultures were capricious. You didn't know what they were going to do. And this did not fit well with the consistency of science. How many of you are thankful for the Bible? How many of you are thankful for scientific thought? Do you realize you would not have the one without the other? What is the foundation, science or the Bible? The Bible is the foundation of scientific thought. How many are thankful for the Bible? So what I do is I show people in my health seminars the oldest scientific study, which of course, again, I told you, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, January 2, 2003, is the book of Daniel. So I then take them through that sequence of scripture that I described to you, and uh, they begin to make decisions. Um, this uh, last picture, when is our break? 10.30? This, next pic this picture is a picture of a guy named George. He came, he was the, he had taken every class in math in the state of Kansas and he was an engineer. He was the one that designed the electrical systems for the global flyer, that plane that Steve Fawcett flew around the globe before his faucet was turned off, you know, before he crashed. I remember that, that plane that went all the way, Global Flyer. This guy designed the electrical systems of that. He came to my, one of my programs, and he was, a, he was an atheist, but a nice atheist. But he just, he just didn't understand that God could really work. But he saw all the scientific excellence. He responded to the sacrificial service. He, there was sufficient time with him. Finally, he invited him to his house, and he had a big stack of books, all scientific books on vegetarianism and veganism, and then another stack, all these books on Adventism. He was studying it all out. He goes, you know, the odd thing is, you guys are actually scientific but spiritual, but not like Christian scientists. You're scientists who are Christians. <laughs> And he says, I find myself gripped with some kind of power that I don't like, but I, it's there that, that this is the place I should be. Do you mind if I just attend and not become a church member? Oh I said, sure, that's fine. And then I can remember the day we were preaching the appeal sermon. I was preaching an appeal sermon because I was leaving from that church. I'd been there for 13 years, and I said, I'm going to preach five uh, 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 you know, farewell sermons. I, Entitled a series, Faring Well. <laughs> so because you guys didn't kick me out sooner, I'm going to preach five sermons. Because <laughs> a typical person leaves after every two years, right? So I'm preaching this sermon series, Faring Well. And as I'm preaching that, I was pouring my heart out for about 27 people that I thought needed to make decisions, and he was one of them. And he's listening there, and all of a sudden I see these big tears coming down. And I see him sobbing, and I didn't look at him, but I made the appeal. And he came forward for that appeal. What had happened? 
He'd been led from health to him. Amen. Medical missionaries who labor in the evangelistic lines are doing a work as of high order as their ministerial fellow workers. In the higher walks of life will be find many who respond to the truth because it's consistent. Scientific, right? Because it bears the stamp of the high character of the gospel. Not a few men of ability, thus one of the gods will enter energetically into the Lord's work. David Ashrick went to a vegetarian restaurant. Mary Burnt. That's not a very good name for a cook, but that was her name. Mary Burnt. <laughs> Fed him some vegan food, began to talk to him, shared the gospel with him. How many think he's entered energetically into the work since then? Amen. Scientific excellence coupled with sacrificial service over a sufficient amount of time then causes a spiritual pathway to be established and then there is sharing of significance of that significance in a testimony of time. People are then brought to the source of authority. That's what? Scripture, which is the basis of science. And then they're led through a sequential study of Scripture, starting with that bridge study. How many want to look at that in the next hour? I'm going to show you that. And they go through a sequence of Scripture, then goes Daniel 1 through 6, 7 through 12, Revelation 10 through 22, Revelation 1. And remember, the seriousness of the topic. Because people that attend your programs will all die. Everybody Jesus healed. They died again. The point of your program is not to save people from death. It's to save them from everlasting death. The point of your program is not to bring life is to bring eternal life. Your program is the documentation of the gift of repentance. Amen. I was going this way, and then I went that way. It is a documentation of the goodness of God, which leads us to repentance. I was talking to a man last week. He says, I could never believe in the God of the Bible. This was a very top scientist. I said, why is that? He goes, I said, well, how were you raised? He said, I was raised in a, a state that I said, well, that's a Christian area. He says, I was raised a Christian, but I could never believe in a God that kills animals like are done in the Old Testament. I'm in this for animal rights. I said, brother, God doesn't like to kill animals, and he loves the fact you don't like to kill them. Look at Jonah, the last verse. He didn't destroy Nineveh because there was much livestock there. <laughs> He loves animals. He never wanted there to be a sacrificial system. He just wanted you to see how terrible sin is and how terrible death is. That was the whole purpose. And don't think he's some God that's far off. He came and actually died for you and for me. He, led, he lived a life of brevity so you could live a life of longevity. And the wrath of God is just as significant as yours. It says in Genesis 9 that he requires the blood of every animal that's killed without cause. He's the biggest animal rights activist. And you got that from him. He said, I don't like talking to you. 
And I said, I know, because you're under conviction. Do you think we need to pray for that man? This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.